Just keep your Bibles there. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. We take a break um, to do what I normally don't do, and that's preach on just a couple of verses. Uh, but we'll be reading for our text for the sermon, um, for the context rather. Uh, we'll look at verses uh, chapter Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1. <laughs> Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. Please give your attention. This is the word of our God. Not that I already, that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord indeed endures forever. Well, we come again this morning, this Lord's Day, as God's people to celebrate the victory won by Christ on the cross. Uh, and Lord's Day by Lord's Day, we again come and rejoice in his sacrifice and his powerful resurrection. And the resurrection is supremely important to us here at Providence. Indeed, it is supremely important to all believers across the globe. It is dear to us. It is not only once a year that we take special note and remember the resurrection, but every week we do so. Uh, And up front, I must remind you again that it is not just that there is a resurrected Savior that saves people from their sins. No, the glory of this proposition is that He is your Savior, personally, not just out there, but that He is yours. The glory is that He has accomplished salvation for you. If you have trusted in him for your life, we are here like we are every Lord's Day because Jesus is alive. He is risen. He lives. This is our profession. This is our confession. We have been given that gift of faith and bowed the knee to the creator and redeemer. We believe we know this to be true. And so if you've not yet given serious consideration to these things, to this fact that Christ 
Though he died, yet he lives. And if you've not yet realized the extent of your sin and your need for one to deal with that sin, if you've not trusted in Christ's work for yourself, for your own rescue, I invite you this morning to do just that. Consider these things. Taste for yourself and see that the Lord is good. Commit your life to Christ. Repent and believe, even at this very moment. Please indeed do come after the service and see me or see one of the elders um, or a believer that you trust and close with Jesus even this very day. The one thing I wanted to look at this morning, this Lord's Day, is this. It's what is the benefit of the resurrection for us who trust in Jesus, right? For those who know and confess he is risen indeed, What is the benefit of Christ, of Christ's resurrection for you and for me? One answer to this important question is that when we put our trust in the resurrected Christ, we come to share in the righteousness that he won for us by his death. You don't need to go there. Maybe perhaps later in this day you can fill your Lord's Day with uh, reflecting on some of these passages. But let me read a couple of passages that speak to this very issue. Uh, 1 Romans 4.25, speaking of Jesus, says that he who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 1 Corinthians 15, a passage we'll look at in some uh, detail later, says this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are what? Still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then finally, that glorious passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, where the Apostle Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This is entirely too much in these verses to unpack in one setting, to be sure. But the point still stands. You belong to Jesus. His resurrection has justified you. When we put our trust in the resurrected Christ, we come to be raised to newness of life. Remember, Romans 6 tells us. We are now a new creation, 1 Corinthians tells us. And the resurrection of Jesus is sanctifying you. Right? It has justified you. It is sanctifying you. And when we put our trust in the resurrected Christ, we come to have a guarantee of our own glorious resurrection. The resurrection of Christ will glorify you, right? In other words, there is a past benefit that comes to us in our justification. There is a present benefit that is coming to us in our sanctification. And also there is a benefit that will come to us in our glorification on that last day. And this is the hope Dear Christian, it's the hope of every believer. As Christ was raised, we too shall be raised. 
right? Christ's resurrection in the past provides for us hope in our future. Sure hope, confident hope, firm assurance, even now, even now, regarding what will come in the future, grounded in what God has already accomplished in the past. So why do we have hope that we will be raised and glorified in the future? Why is that? It's because Christ has already been raised, and as he is, so too shall we be. We see this in that wonderful and glorious passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that we looked at briefly. We'll look at it a little bit more later. Uh, But Paul tells us with firm assurance and with certainty about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, But right now I want to look at our sermon text this morning um, from Philippians. Our sermon text, Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, which also speaks of the hope that will be raised and glorified in the future because Jesus has already been raised from the dead. Um, Our resurrection hope, brothers and sisters, this Resurrection Sunday, and always, is very dear to us. Christ is risen indeed. He is risen indeed, and that is very good news for those of you who love him. He is risen indeed, and I want, and I pray for each of you, that you would know this certain hope for yourselves, this resurrection hope. And so let's look now at our resurrection hope um, uh, according to these three aspects of that hope. If you're a note taker, this is how the sermon will uh, unfold. We'll first look at uh, our current hope, then we'll look at the coming certainty, and then thirdly, the completed act. Right? So the current hope, the coming certainty, and a completed act. But first let's look at our current hope. Our current hope. We currently have hope. Our hope is now. Again, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this verse, what is it that's in heaven? What's in heaven as we look at this verse? Our our citizenship is there, and our Savior is there. Our citizenship and our Savior Our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And see that word await. Uh, We await a Savior. We wait for him. It's a hopeful word. It's a now word. It means to wait, to wait eagerly, to eagerly await. To get a sense of of this word, I wanted to look at a couple of other verses so you can feel the, the, the wonder and the weight and the punch of what he's talking about when we read this in Scripture. Um, if you would turn to Romans 8, we'll spend some time back and forth uh, from Romans 8. I'll look at a couple verses there um, and listen to how this word is used in the context of what we are eagerly awaiting for. Uh, it's that same word, Romans 8, um, verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And then verse 23, if you drop down, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse 25, verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, 
we wait for it with patience, right? It's that same word. Eager anticipation and waiting. Um, flip, flip over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. The end of chapter 9, it says in Hebrews there, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who what? Who are eagerly waiting for him. We're eagerly waiting for him. Right? That's the sense. That's what's being talked about. Uh, if we go to 1 Corinthians, right? We encounter this concept, this word, when we first began our series through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. We read this. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you what? As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Very interesting. Uh, wonderful word. And then one last one. Galatians 5, verse 5. And these, these references could be multiplied. Uh, but just to give you a sense of what this word means. Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And it's an eager anticipation, a waiting. Right? So you get a sense of the word and the usage of that word. So what it's saying is that from heaven, we eagerly long for and we await the Lord, our Savior. To what? To take us to our true home and to be with him. Heaven is our home. Heaven is where we belong. If you belong to Christ, that is where you belong. In glory. And I wonder if you long for that true home. Right? We've all seen pictures and we've all read about uh, people that are long apart from their true homeland whether it's through a long expedition or travel or hostage situations or coming home from the war. You look at those old black and white pictures and they're so grateful to be home. When they finally reach home, they're so glad to be there after longing and being away and longing for the smell of the air or the feel of the dirt in their hands, the taste of the water of their homeland. And they're so grateful and overjoyed to be home. What do they do? They kiss the ground. They kiss the ground of the place that they hold dear. Well, that's something that begins to approach what Scripture talks about for you, dear Christian. For you, the waiting eagerly, the longing, the joy and hope for heaven, your true homeland. There is a pull on our souls and there is a beacon to our hearts from the place to which we belong. And for those who've been purchased with the blood of the Lamb, that place to which you belong is glory. It's heaven itself. It is your true home. You've been given a new heart and a home in glory. When you trusted in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Right? That's what our verse here this morning is saying. Uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 19 says a similar thing. When it talks about the dividing wall being torn down and the two men being made one, In Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Fellow citizens. We have a current hope. Hope now. Even now as we wait eagerly. We eagerly await our Savior. I wonder if you eagerly await for, if you long for Christ to come from heaven to bring you home. I long for that day 
to be sure. And if our merciful Father has brought specific degrees of suffering or trials in your life, or if you've lived long in this foreign place, you perhaps have a greater longing and anticipation and expectation for your king to come for you, to bring you home. And he will come. He will come. That is his promise. It's also an interesting thing to note as well. I don't know how many of you have thought about this um, and considered this, but because of Christ's glorious resurrection and ascension and session, our longing is increased. Our longing is increased. And that longing is a very real part of our suffering. Our suffering, our longing to be home. Uh, turn back, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse, uh, starting at verse 18, particularly uh, verse 22. But Romans 8, uh, 18 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. That's our current hope. Our current hope. And I wonder, Jenny, can you hear back there? Is the monitor on? Okay, thanks. I apologize. I want to make sure the monitor was on. Um, that's our current hope. Hope now that we have. We, have, we are, are not home at present. We are not in our final place but we eagerly await for Christ to come and to take us to our true home. That's our current hope. And then our coming hope, right next, number two. Uh, that is our hope will be a reality in the future. It will be a reality. We await the consummation of that hope, the wrapping up of all things. Notice how the apostle describes our waiting. Uh, it is for the Savior and it is also for the ultimate benefit of our salvation from our verse this morning. Look at, again, verse uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Right? The apostle describes our waiting as for our Savior and then that ultimate benefit. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. You see that? We'll transform our body. Right? What is our hope this Resurrection Sunday and last Lord's Day and every Lord's Day and every hour and day by day? What is our hope in this life? It's not, it's not uh, some sensationalistic, charismatic gift. It is not for perfect health or wealth in this life. It is not for complete relief from all sufferings here on this planet. It is not for power. It is not for influence. It is not for fame. But as the Lord tunes our souls for glory, that's what he's doing here. As he tunes our souls for glory, which he does through the means of grace and through all the circumstances of our lives. As he tunes our hearts for home, he grows us to more and more long for what is true. 
and we hope for Christ's coming again and and God's promise to you, brothers and sisters. His promise to you and his promise to me is that when he concludes all things, he will transform our bodies to be like his body. And that's especially a wonderful thing if you have any kind of ailment or suffering that you go through. You know, it's true that, uh, that, that beauty is fleeting, that youth is like a vapor, right? It's only a small sliver of your life. And if you begin to have pains and sufferings in this world, this is all the more glorious, this transformation of your physical body to be like his resurrected body. The glorious thing, and it is our glorious hope. It is the Christian's hope. I pray that it is your hope this morning. And then looking in at 1 Corinthians 15, I said we would return to this passage. Uh, this, of course, is a glorious um, chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, this lengthy and wonderful discussion of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll just read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 42. Listen here to what uh, the Apostle tells us. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This glorious promise, our life related to, connected to Christ. Do you grasp what's happening there? Do you see it? Do you trust it, brothers and sisters? It should indeed swell your heart with delight and joy and thanksgiving. You, believer, you, dear Christian, your perishable body, perish, perishable body will be transformed to be like his imperishable body. Your dishonorable body will be like his glorious body. Your weak and feeble body will be transformed to be like his glorious, his powerful resurrected body. Your natural body will be transformed to a spiritual body. Brothers and sisters, your bodies made in the image of the dusty man Right, the man of dust, Adam, the first Adam. That body will be transformed to be made into the image of the man of heaven, the heavenly man, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth that is. What a glorious truth to reflect upon and contemplate. What a wonderful and certain promise, dear believer. Isn't that reason to rejoice and to give praise to our Redeemer and King? It is indeed resurrection hope, indeed. Now, it is the case, humans that we be, uh, we are weak and we are forgetful. 
We need help and we need strengthening of our faith. It's true of all of us. And God has given us those very things to do that very thing, to strengthen us and to help us. And so what did he ordain for us to be strengthened by? Right? He gave us the means of grace. That's why we come every week and we come weekly and we hear again from his word about his love in providing the very thing that we need. And we come again together every week and we pray again as his people and we partake again of the supper together as his people as we commune with him and with one another. And it is a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, that even in our weakness, we can have a sure hope. We can have a sure hope. And how is that so? How can this be? In all of our weaknesses, in our foolishness, in our forgetfulness, in our feebleness, in all the things that we go through in our lives, how can we have a sure hope? How can we be certain? How can we know that these things are true? How can you know, dear Christian, that you will be raised? Well, we, dear Christian, we can know, we can have a certain hope of the coming certainty of our resurrection. Why? Because it is based on a completed act. It's based on something that's already happened. And that's the third point if you're taking notes. It's based upon a completed act. And that act is what? It's the act of God. It's the past work of God in raising Jesus from the dead to resurrection glory. The very thing that we are here celebrating today on Resurrection Sunday and every Lord's Day. It's the resurrection of our Savior. And notice how Paul, he assures you of your coming transformation to be like Christ. God will accomplish this for you. His people, right? He says in verse 21 of our text, Philippians 3:21, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, do you see that? What is he talking about there? What does it mean, this power that enables him to subject all things to himself? What is it talking about? Well, what he's talking about here is this is the power that raised Christ from the dead and exalted him over all things. Right, listen to what the Spirit says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. You see that? See what he's saying there? It's the same power. Or listen to uh, Paul where he says it in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> starting at verse 19, the Apostle Paul says this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see the similar thing that he's saying. 
the power that enabled him even to subject all things under himself. It's that same power. And it's hard to even begin to grasp the reality of this. It's hard to grasp the weight and the wonder of this fact, brothers and sisters. The grace and love and the power that raised Christ from the dead for me and for you. And therefore, our current hope of the resurrection in the future, our resurrection hope, it's based on God's completed action in the past. That most glorious, powerful act of raising the crucified Savior from the dead 2,000 years ago. Isn't that a glorious hope for we this morning, brothers and sisters? Glorious hope. Right? The concept of that word has changed so much. Hope, biblical hope, is far greater, far more concrete than any hope that the weather stays nice for our picnic or hope that my team does well this year. Biblical hope is so much richer. It's rich and gratitude-driving and sure. It is an assured promise of God to all who love Him and believe Him, even this morning, that as He was raised You can be sure, dear Christian, of your resurrection. And as we close, brothers and sisters, let us indeed magnify his name. Let us praise this great resurrected king. And let us return back into the land that is not our own, living and loving here with our hearts in glory. And let us remember this day and always, even as we are about to approach the table of our Lord, Let us remember that he gave his life on that Good Friday on the cross for all the sins of his people and that he took that life up again on that first Resurrection Sunday so that you would have new life, sustained life, indeed resurrection life. May God grant you, dear Christian, true change through the gospel ongoing throughout your life and may we continue to praise him for his work and for our lives, and for the grace and strength to continue to embrace this Savior again by faith, again and again. For Christ is risen indeed.